0: fabulous with vips and vicky the ThinkShift podcast for professionals who aspire to be fabulous leaders those who not only succeed but also purposefully seek to reinvent the world in this episode of the be fabulous podcast we'll cover the final of our four d's seek discovery and why it's so key to innovation we'll talk about the rookie errors that manifest themselves at each stage of the career journey and last but not least we'll set the seek discovery challenge that makes you reflect on how much you truly seek discovery
1: welcome to our be fabulous podcast with Vipson and vicky this week, we are diving into the fourth D, which is about seeking discovery. And this D is more important than ever in the times that we live in right now. It's about the curiosity needed to get through any situation, no matter what we find ourselves in. In These days, they say that kids in kindergarten, 65% of them, will get jobs that have not yet been created so what that means is they need that creativity and that curiosity to discover new skills because the jobs are just not there. If we think about Uber and Airbnb and the different industries that have been created over the last 15, 20 years, that's changing again. So the need to be curious and creative and create connection has never been more important than this right now. And seeking discovery is one of the key muscles that are really important to build as part of this. So I'm excited, vips. how do you feel about this topic?
0: yeah well, I mean I think you 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 nailed it um in your in your intro uh the seeking discovery is a reason why we've got it down as one of the four ds and it's it's um it's one of those things that sounds so obvious but is notoriously difficult because because seeking discovery is hard um so maybe maybe what we should do is uh, you've given a great example of it, uh, particularly in relation to its kind of consequences from a generational point of view. And maybe I should just spend a couple of minutes just explaining what it is. Does that sound good?
1: Yeah, I'd love that.
0: Yeah, so so if you remember, we've done Be Daring, Be Deliberate, we've done Be Dynamic, and now we're in the last of the four Ds, and, and that's Seeking Discovery. And, and what this is really about is, it's it's very difficult for you to adapt and change how you think about something and benefit from whatever's happening in the world or in the environment around you and adapt quickly if you don't have this insatiable curiosity to discover and learn and understand. And, and that's really the crux of what seeking discovery is. Many people, when they experience... Um, when they experience the unknown, the desire is to step away from it. Their desire is to this is something to be feared. This is something to be nervous about. Um, I've never done that before. Will I be any good? Will I be bad? Those sorts of things okay? Whereas, whereas fabulous people, who certainly the ones who practice seeking discovery, they 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 kind of hardwired. And again, you know, some of this references kind of some of the ideas from Carol Dweck in, in Mindset. Uh, you can almost equate this a little bit to Growth Mindset. Um, but it's this kind of idea that, that, that fabulous people, if they are seeking discovery well, they don't really experience things going wrong the way mere humans um, experience things going wrong. You know, they, they kind of experience it more as, oh, that's interesting, that happened. I wonder what I can learn from it. I wonder what we can do differently. I wonder how we might, change and and that's that sounds really wonderful um and i'm sure many people that will listen to this at some point will will be like oh yeah i do that we do that i do that we do that but actually if you think about it kind of in the heat of what has become you know just just the accelerated pace of what's expected of you being efficient at work um just getting your job done feeling overworked um not enough hours in the day um being like you're on all the time. It's like, you know what? To a certain extent, it's kind of like, screw discovery. I'm struggling hard enough just keeping keep you know, keep keeping, you know, keeping my stuff together, if you like. And and, and that's really the essence of seeking discovery. So in, in the in the in the sort of the business literature, you hear this often expressed as we want people who are lifelong learners, we want people who are innately curious. Um that's the kind of language that gets used, but the intrinsic qualities, the beliefs that one has to have around the relative value of curiosity, even if it means you know you get an occasional black eye from your manager or your boss because you've done something that maybe pushed the boat out a little bit too far. um You know, always kind of pushing that boundaries, but trying, but but calibrating such that it's it's helpful and effective, but not grueling and destructive I'm going to pause there vicky and let you react i'm not sure you've ever heard me say that before
1: no i haven't vips uh <laughs> but it's as usual it's it's absolutely uh, spot on and it makes me go back to our conversation last week where we were talking about kids and their creativity i think you said that it was two years old when kids have or two and a half years old when kids have maxed out their creativity wasn't it something like that, lips? We said last
0: yeah, week. Yeah, and I, I got I got that from um, one of my coaches. Who's actually a head of school. She's very into sort of pedagogy. There we and, go. There we go. And the way ch- children learn. So I, I don't know if that's attributed or not. Well, uh, yeah. but however, um, if you if you think about it, it's true, right? I mean, I mean, that's how kids learn, right? They learn. I mean, I'm talking about babies, right? Babies yeah. learn by experiencing the world around them the first time.
1: Yeah, and it's so interesting with kids because kids always ask why. Yeah. yeah. Why, why? It's a nightmare. Do you don't do have this?
0: kids, Vicky. i tell you it's a nightmare. I don't. It's a
1: good thing. It's probably a very good thing, Vips, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> and, you know, we remember ourselves as kids asking why and just that insatiable curiosity as to how the world works and tasting things we shouldn't taste and touching things we shouldn't touch and no sense of, of fear or, or harm, just curiosity and joy and intrigue. And it's through the conditioning of institutionalized systems of schooling and other forms of education that we we stop asking why. But now the beautiful thing is we all have that muscle in us, in our brain. One part of our brain is dedicated to, to asking why. And so we have to learn to, to wake it up yeah. again. But when you, when you start just gently even asking, why has this room been painted blue? Why did they choose that color? What does blue mean? What does it evoke? And you start asking those questions, even in the situation you're in, your eyes start to open up. And as soon as you start asking those questions, asking why allows you to see things you hadn't yet seen before. And that's all that creativity is. It's not only the traditional sense of being an artist or a musician, but it's actually connecting the dots in new ways that you hadn't seen before. Now, it's not connecting the dots that don't exist, because that's madness. (laughs) But when you connect them in a way that you hadn't seen before, that's what creativity is. And if you can connect with another human being about these new dots that you see, that's where the opportunity comes in. And that means we don't need to know what the future holds or how it's changing. We simply need to keep being curious and and connecting dots in new ways and connecting with others to bring it to life. And, and that's where the magic comes in. And it it can be as simple as, you know, when I drive, what I love to do is drive a different route uh, to where I'm going each time. because I get to see different things. When I go for walks in my neighborhood, i like to walk a slightly different route. so I can uh, see that. So
0: And it's, And if you think about it, if you think about it, that's you know, at some level, seeking discovery can go against being deliberate, right? Because if you take the yeah. same road, same road or same route, to work or wherever you go every day, then you don't have to think about it, right? You can operate more on autopilot, so you're you're saving your brain reserves for something else, right? So even the, the fact that you do that intentionally is great, yeah. But but doing it kind of just for the sake of it without some intentionality behind it can also actually, you know, it, it can ding you on the deliberate side, if you like. <laughs> so it's it's a very interesting balance that you that you've just described there, you know. Um you know I remember you know I think it was uh, I was old interview with uh, in fact it was Barack Barack Obama when he was uh, when he was president and he you know he he says you know I have my routine my fixed routine and I always 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 you know park in the same place always I, you know I'm not sure when he drove as a president but I I know he said that and, and the idea being that you know if if you the more you can keep on autopilot the less the less mental capacity you have available to deal with whatever you know, whatever is the issue of the day. Um
1: hence the blue suits. Hence the blue the suits, hence same, the same, the same hence suits. The same, <laughs> hence the same
0: clothes, hence the same Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you just you I mean you saw that with Steve Jobs as well, right? I mean, same sort of
1: Absolutely. I mean you, you kind of
0: see that with Elon Musk too. I mean, and you know, I, you know before we get into There's a the
1: simplicity there. Yeah, they,
0: well what I think what they do is they um <laughs> they find parts of dimensions of their lives they want to be very simple about if you like or very repetitive about in order to unleash that creativity and that 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 sort of visionary power that we think about elsewhere.
1: That's probably where they're being deliberate with oh, because yeah. there's no there's no value add in to them in being creative around those pieces. Yeah.
0: You know you said something else that was really interesting. You know you talk about connecting dots and um I I find this fascinating when i talk about seeking discovery because it tends to create a Quite a strong response. So, so if you if you're in particularly if you're in companies where you have lots of creative people, if you like, and then you have quote unquote project managers, okay, like, and what tends to happen is it, it turns into a rallying cry about how creativity and innovation is more important than getting things done, okay, and and, and mm. then it kind of gets it gets weaponized, yeah, and like a lot of the lot of, <laughs> a lot of these ideas they can get weaponized really quickly because they talk. To something that someone cares about, like, you know. Let's say I'm, let's say I'm highly creative and innovation focused. It's very easy for me to justify my creativity and innovation focus at the expense of someone's deliberateness. That gives me the space to be creative and innovative. If that makes sense, and and we but sometimes we 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 kind of forget the symbiosis of uh, of all of that. Um, just as you were speaking, it made me think about that.
1: Let's let's talk through a practical example so people can can understand a little bit more about what we mean here. Is there one that comes to mind? Uh, Yeah. I mean,
0: okay, so I'm a creative director working on a video for someone. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And that requires a certain amount of inspiration. And I haven't found my mojo yet. So I want space. I want... I want the ability to discover. I want to be outside. I want to be, I want to be in a place. I, I, I've, I know myself well enough to know that when that inspiration hits, I will be able to do it and it'll be really, really good. Yeah? yeah? On the other hand, you'll have your project manager or your client or whoever's paying the bills for you to do that video is like, how far have you got? What's the script? What's the videos looking like? When's it going to be done? How much is it? You know, That kind of thing can feel like it's stifling from a creativity point of view. Right, but also really necessary from the perspective of <laughs> we got deadlines and we got a, we need this we need this piece of creativity, if you will, to be ready. It's a very practical mm. example, yeah.
1: And it makes me it makes me think of even the product development cycle. Sure. Um, and think shift. I mean, you're, you're a classic example of needing space to be able to create our, our shift type concepts and having dedicated time. But then being able to fit that in around all the other, the the coaching work and the other sessions you're running for our clients, and it's it's that balance of there's a deadline we have to hit, <laughs> and we have to have a practice session, get ourselves ready before a shift up segment is launched. But you also need the space, and I think we've we've described it as distilling whiskey. You know, it has to be the magic ingredients yeah. that come together that can't be constrained. It's where the magic happens.
0: You're totally right, and if you take it out of product and you take it to what often turns into a good CEO-COO CEO, CEO, CEO COO relationship, you often see some things are very similar, where particularly as your company gets larger, you tend to find CEOs have to spend a lot more time focusing on what's going on around them, like outside their businesses, as opposed to inside their businesses. Because you're, you're following market trends, you're looking for where, where the money and the opportunity is going to be from a business point of view, yeah, but but that's not the same as making sure your processes are working well and the supply chain's working well and all your people are being recruited well and treated fairly and paid. I mean, there's a there's you know what one one is going to lend itself more to being deliberate, whereas the other one's going to lend itself a bit more to seeking discovery. But but you know, a visionary CEO without the ability to execute is about as good as a hole in the head. I mean, it's not. There's no. There's no value in it, and the other way around. So I just think it's a really interesting juxtaposition, and it shows up. Um, it shows up in all areas, really.
1: So we we are teasing out the the complexity of the interweaving of these D's now. Up until now, we've been talking about them as singular components. In this conversation, we're starting to see the the, the paradox of a couple of them and how they play off each other. So being deliberate could have a detrimental impact on seeking discovery and vice versa, unless they're held in balance.
0: They're all in balance. And that's kind of the reason why I like to do Seek Discovery last, because it's the one that, here's here's where else that Seek Discovery gets abused in the professional world. Everyone likes to think that they're doing quote unquote strategic stuff. (laughs) And strategic stuff tends to look like whatever someone experiences as bigger picture relative to what they're doing. And and that is quite easy to lose oneself in discovery, if you like, without then coming back to being daring enough to then say something about it, being fluid enough or dynamic enough to see what they're in, what their company or their organization needs and then being deliberate enough to actually do the legwork to take that idea and turn it into something that gets implemented. Think. Think mm. about a new process in a company. Think about a new HR process. Everyone and his uncle are going to have to create new blended work policies because so many people are just never going to go back to work in the traditional sense in the offices. Okay, that's that's an exter- something external forced us to seek a lot of discovery, right? But but a lot, lot of companies right now are just watching to see you know what does Google do? What does Microsoft do? What does I right, pick your company? Yeah. And because no one wants to go first and be, deliberate, uh, be daring. And so you take your lead from what someone else is doing because it's, it's a safer thing to do. And it, and it, and it kind of gives you kind of safety in numbers, if you like. So it's quite hard. It's, it's very hard to be first if, you're, if you truly care about seeking discovery and being innovative. It's hard. Mm. It's just as opposed to the buzzword of everyone's creative and innovative because that's sexy right now.
1: So Vips, it reminds me of the 90s and early 2000s when companies created innovation teams, sandboxes, R&D labs, and dollars were saved to focus in on that specific problem. And time was allocated. People had 20% of their time to work on innovation, in quotation marks. But it was very hard for them to take those ideas and turn them into something that was executable that drove business value. And more recently, we're seeing it with hackathons. You know, that's the, the modern day equivalent of those sandboxes. And everybody has their hackathon and it creates energy once a year or twice a year. But what really happens with those and do they move the needle for the company is always questionable because the companies are geared up for efficiency. So as we start our journey from top-notch exec and go back to superstar performer, let's do it the other way around, I'm really curious about your views of like, how do companies get this right? You know, if you build for efficiency, you're decent size, you're beyond the startup size. Like, what do you do with this whole seeking discovery, finding out what the market's doing, staying relevant, being innovative, when your whole your whole mission is to be efficient and scale?
0: From a company point of view, or from an individual point of view, at this point.
1: Let's start company, and then do top notch exec, and then awesome okay. manager, and superstar. Right. Let's let's go backwards this time.
0: Wait, well, the way I, the way I look at it from a company standpoint, and and this is going to sound. Uh, Uh, i'm I'm doing this with my company lens on rather than my human lens on to me it's actually really really simple as long as you're creating ample opportunity to learn like just overload people with how much they have to learn i don't mean i don't mean learn from the perspective of just straight up throughput but give them um, increasing levels of complexity to the work that they have to do so and and try to minimize well not minimize try to balance how much what i would describe as process centric task execution with things that require thought and opinion i think what 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 i see is that when companies do that earlier on intentionally it can feel like i'm losing productivity because i'm giving them space to think and work on other stuff okay but what it really does is when they when they when those, well, A, those people will stick around a bit longer because they, they they feel like they're earning they're learning something which they wouldn't be able to learn somewhere else. And secondly, it accelerates them um, or accelerates them out of the uh, superstar performer to also manage a circle of suck. Because what happens is people get comfortable with the idea that, wow, there's so much more to to doing a good job and being a good employee than just my little chunk of the universe. Um so the way I look at it is if companies companies could and, and should do a better job of identifying you know what we would call the fabulous talent earlier on and and almost forcing that scope of breadth earlier on as well. Um, because and and see it like you know, investment instead of consumption. Whereas most, if we if we think of just consumption, then that's like you know, the tasks you have to do to get your job done investments always the things that maybe might give you five less five you know five percent less consumption this week but is going to give you you know ten percent productivity a year from now um, well in
1: in engineering terms we can think of that as technical debt showing sure. down the technical debt so that you are ultimately creating the space for the systems to run better in the future.
0: Yeah, I think the actual real, to be honest, what I see, and I don't know if you see this, Vicky, with your clients, but what I see is at the very senior levels, they get this. It's not, that's not the problem. The problem really is that we've just got very good as corporate America, really, and to a certain extent Britain too, the two countries I know a lot about, um, where we, we, we just got comfortable giving manager responsibilities to people that don't know how to manage. So so the, the problems happening kind of lower down the food chain. So, so if, you, if, you, if you don't really want or know what it means to manage human beings as opposed to manage for task execution, then what actually happens is that that, that balance doesn't exist. So, so, you know, the phrase that gets you, that I use a lot is, you know, you sweat the resource. You, so people start feeling like they're cogs in a machine being sweated. And that's kind of why, you know, top talent, Moves away because they can, and kind of you know, companies get left with the dregs.
1: And and even the word resource isn't oh, very yeah. appealing when, totally you, when you're totally a human being. <laughs> just,
0: yeah, it, it's, it, it's should, quite,
1: <laughs> it should be people management, not yeah. resource management. Yeah, it's it's kind of, of yeah. It's the what oxy, about bugbeards?
0: The ox, the oxymoron of HR. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, um, oh, well, what can I say? Um, but but I think I think to, you know to bring it back to some real. You know, from a company's point of view, here, here's the issue. We know that the only way that our companies are going to be innovative against an increasingly competitive world landscape, right? Things are changing fast, okay? I guarantee, I guarantee that, you know, in the way that we talk about Google, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook today, there's going to be three or four new companies that are at that level six, seven, eight, ten years from now. Now, whether they emerge from the world of Uber or whether they emerge from medical tech and in the post-pandemic world, or, or I don't know where they're going to emerge from, but I promise you they will emerge. So what it tells you is the economic returns for having sufficient people in your company being sufficiently creative rather than just expecting process and one or two people to do that is gonna is gonna create really huge returns because the only way we can win competitively as an economy, as a national economy, is by creating more innovation-centric jobs. And you can't create more innovation-centric jobs if you with with A, just dreamers. You can't have just dreamers. You have to have people who can execute too. But you need those people who are gonna be able to create the jobs in creative ways because that's where the income's gonna be. And, you know, as we know, the gap between the haves and the have-nots is only getting wider. So, you know, to me, there's a very systemic reason why, why we have to cultivate these qualities in the current 20 to 30-year-olds. Because, you know, quite frankly, they need to do a better job of marshalling the U.S. business economy than maybe the current generation of leaders have been able to do.
1: Mm. So let's bring that down to top notch execs. What does that mean for top notch execs? And what, what are some of the rookie errors that they should be avoiding? That's
0: a good question. Uh, I, I think to me, the, the biggest difference, uh, the, the biggest challenge I see with, with um, top notch executives. So let's take the category of top notch executives that maybe aren't so fabulous. <laughs> so so um, I, I think what happens is, is it becomes risky to seek discovery. Yeah. It think about it. If you've been an executive in a large organization for an extended period of time, doing anything new equals taking risk. Yeah. And and especially if you're at that senior executive but not quite not quite not quite made it yet, right? Then then you have a lot to lose by screwing up your job today. You've got you've got lovely income, you're gonna have um, relatively pleasant existence. No one's really questioning what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. Why? Why bring that kind of entropy into your world? So I think the rookie era happens where where executives start feeling like they're not replaceable because of the size of their empires.
1: Mm. Yeah, we see that. We see that a lot, Vibs.
0: And so that's the that's the big rookie era that comes about from not seeking discoveries. People don't realize those executives don't realize that that if I don't if I don't if I don't innovate and try new things, then what's really going to happen is is you know, even if the environment is too chicken to do something about me, which many environments are, what actually happen is the entire department will go away in an organizational transformation. Or someone even more senior comes in for a 18-month to two-year period to clean house and you kind of get caught in the backwash. And this is the sad thing. You know, a lot of a lot of executives actually want that to happen because they just want their nice big severances and they they have enough belief that they can game the system and get a job somewhere else for, for similar money, which sadly, you know, while the economy was overheating, that was possible. But I think you're going to see a very different story from uh, this point forward because um, at least for the next two or three years, we're going to have, uh, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a buyer's market for executives rather than a seller's market for executives.
1: Now there is hope because you do get those truly transformational executives who are always you know, the the fabulous few who are always playing to win. And they're not playing out just for their salary. And so for those of you that are struggling with this conundrum, I've always thought it very helpful during that stage to have an interim executive for a period of time to, to do the transformation. Because the guys who transform and the guys who run tend to be motivated by very, very different things. And they're not always the same person. And when I say guys, I mean guys and girls naturally.
0: You know, you know, you bring up a really interesting point, because you're absolutely right. The People who want to transform things tend not to be the ones who want to operate them afterwards.
1: It's boring. It's, boring. it's boring.
0: And so that, that's true for leaders. Um, but it's also true for if you think about it, how have we done that in businesses? We've done that typically, you know, you get the consultants to come in, you know, we've been consultants our lives, we can say this about ourselves, you get the consultants come in to do a transformation, then we we kind of cause disruption, mayhem, screw things up in the from that from the perspective of someone who wants things to stay the same, we've screw you know we screw things up, we make a bunch of changes in, implement a bunch of systems and what have you that yeah, from their point of view haven't been thought well through but we're forcing through the change if you like and then and then you know we get sent off because we're too expensive to keep around and what happened is the hearts and minds and the the mindset never really changed and you never change the leaders to go with it. so what happens is you get reversion yeah. And you either get reversion where everything that you did just gets washed away, yeah? Or you get the reversion that looks like, well, what they were doing was good, but it was very badly done or very badly built or, you know, hanging together by, you know, strings and toilet roll. Um, We have to now do it properly, okay? And then they have to do the projects all over again. And and so our our own industry really has not been very helpful
1: um, in in this perspective. Well, there's a third way, which is you get it far enough where it's got enough sticking power and you've spent the political capital and that messiness to make it happen. And then somebody can tweak it and take it forward. And that means it's really, really rewarding. But it does require a certain amount of leadership and organizational willingness to push through to that point, to that tipping point, where it's it's then... It's so in tweaks and manoeuvres as opposed yeah. to wholesale
0: change. You, you, you know, Vicky, you bring up a really interesting point that um, I was talking to another client of mine last week about. And, and to me, I think this is where I think HR has a has a real role to play from a compensation point of view. If you, meaning, don't lock in transformational people to long term incentives, right? And and it
1: happens all the time. That's that's the rookie mistake.
0: That's that is definitely a rookie mistake, and. And it happens all the time. And you know why? I think it's because transformational people, they project a perception of value that's greater than reality. They tend to be charismatic. They tend to be high energy. They tend to be able to inspire on the surface. But very few actually have, have the, the staying power. Yeah. yeah. The fabulous few do, but most of them don't. And so well, don't, you, don't lock you, them you need,
1: in. It's back to the fourth non-negotiables, so having the, the values and ethics... In line with the environment, you have to want that change to stick beyond your own personal needs, because it's really, really hard, and it's easy to get worn down.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also I think what people don't realize also is is um you know if you're if you're if you're doing something innovative or transformational and in intent and you for the right reasons you truly believe it's right the reality is particularly in large organisations you're going to be running against the inertia of the company mm. and the problem with that is it's like death of a thousand cuts you can take one you can take two but so what's going to happen is over time you're going to build up a lot of enemies so when it comes to review time and performance evaluation time the system like the way we do performance management you know reach out to 20 people ask your team how you're doing that kind of stuff what's going to happen is people are going to have stored up that ammunition ammunition it's going to those thousand paper cuts are going to come back at you in your reviews right and so and we call that, you know, open and transparent feedback. And, and there's there's a point at which, well, if you're on a transformation agenda, then, then you have to have the you have to have the sophistication as a boss or as a performance management system to say, well, I'm expecting 60, 70% of the feedback to come back to for this person to be, you know, spiky or or um, swipey because they're
1: being disruptive
0: because they're being disruptive which is what you paid them for when you got them on board so so we have this kind of oxymoron where we tend to say we want that then we lock them in so they can't leave by paying them too much money or locking them into four or five year incentive programs right share options or whatever okay and then on the other hand we want to bitch and complain about them because they are upsetting people. And it's a little bit of you can't have it both ways. And I, and I, think, I think that's what we, I think it gets washed away with um, uh, people responsible for, for performance management systems see that as, but the CEO won't take action on this. Or, you know, um, we see this problem, but no one else sees it. It's easy to diminish its necessariness, if you will
1: yeah, so our takeaways for the top-notch exec is decide what kind of executive you are. Are you someone who is playing it safe and is prepared to not seek discovery, will have m- minute perspectives around it? or are you someone who's truly transformational and are going to drive forward that agenda and use up that political political capital, know that it's going to be spiky? And either way, it's not easy <laughs> well and, and also
0: and also don't pretend to be. What transformational. If, yeah, if you're not, and you're don't, not. don't, and don't, and don't pretend to be operational if you're transformational. It, it, it's you're just buying yourself a word of pain.
1: Okay, so let's think about the awesome manager vips What happens there?
0: Um, okay, awesome manager. So to me, this is where it gets really interesting because I think this is where, uh, this is where you really want to see that that stage of the journey. That's really where you want to see um, a, a lot more seeking of discovery. Because, because what's going to happen is, um, these are the people that are sufficiently close to, if you like, the front lines of the people who are doing the work, and they're not, they're not they're not that far removed from it yet, if you will. But, but this is going to be where all incremental innovation and growth occurs. It's going to be easy for awesome managers to just follow processes, right? In which case, nothing evolves and nothing improves. Okay. On the other hand, they're probably closest to pragmatic practical solutions for incremental improvement. Okay? Their problem normally comes from I don't know if it's my responsibility to. I'm not sure if my boss will support me if if this goes wrong, I might not get my promotion or pay rise. Um that that's where that one goes. So what what I think is on the on the superstar sorry, on the awesome manager one it tends to be uh, going back to one of our four non-negotiables, it tends to be more about our inside-out mentality and our self-confidence that gets in the way of our seek-discovery ideas. The ideas are there, but you kind of keep a lid on them, or you don't have the political sophistication to be able to handle the subtlety of navigating that, and you kind of take a, a bull in a china shop. Or let me just write. Let me just give you sixteen charts while what I'm what I'm what I'm saying is correct, or let me blow you away with data or let me blow you away with emotion. And um, and that so the, it's more the great communicator and the inside-out mentality aspect of it that gets in the way of the innovation and discovery at the awesome manager level.
1: Yeah, if they don't have that. You're right, Phipps, because when you were a superstar performer, you were very good at getting the tasks done. But as a manager, if you're trying to get buy-in to a particular agenda that you have around innovation... It's really important to be able to have a uh, a range of different ways of influencing to be able to get that done which do want to talk, do which want to talk if you more hadn't, about that:
0: which if you hadn't invested the time to build those communication influencing skills when you're a superstar performer, then you're gonna it's kind of like coming to a gunfight with a knife, which is what most of our managers do right? and it's it's a uh, it becomes really it becomes a really hard slog then to to win at that point, you know. I tell you where that comes out an awful lot is also because um, what I say to a lot of people, I I work with a number of people who are genuinely very creative, very, 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 you know, very creative, artistic, visual, you know, very classically creative as opposed to, you know, process creative or technical solution creative, if you like, right? And, And what I often find is where they fall over is not so much in the spark of genius, if you like, that they have. It's their inability to communicate that to mere humans. And it's so so it's it's very easy to preach to the choir that people that agree with you already. But they're not the ones you need. <laughs> they're not the, you know that that's not, you know they, they don't know how to make it relevant for a CFO. They don't know how to make it relevant for a intern. They don't know how to make it relevant for um you know, a customer who's got serious supply chain issues. Um, and, and so what happens is, is is the whole language set around what constitutes creating business value actually ends up showing how little they understand business value. And, and it's, so, it's so pervasive. Because um, kind of everyone sees value through the lens of their competence as opposed well, they- to a business equation.
1: And that's where spending time building relationships becomes so important because the more you do that, the more you are winning friends and influencing. And when your idea needs to come to fruition, you can do the breadcrumbing and you can know who's on your side and how to tune your messages. And without that, you're going in cold. And that's yeah. a great one to be learning as, at the manager level.
0: Hey, I'll tell you something really practical, a really practical tip, as opposed to a conceptual one. I think everyone should make friends. Like you talk about business relationships. I mean, like, take it a little bit beyond, with a lawyer, with an accountant. <laughs> no, seriously, with a lawyer, with an accountant, with a technologist and a salesperson, like a software developer and a salesperson. Because I, I think um, if, you, if, you, if you actively choose to make those people your friends, right, then you, A, you're going to develop a vocabulary set that allows you to converse with that but two, you also learn to appreciate stuff that you think doesn't matter or or maybe is less relevant depending on depending on which which set you're coming from. It's a very powerful thing to do.
1: Uh, but you have to do it more than just talking about the weather or sports. You have oh, to yeah, be yeah, truly yeah. interested in what they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, Vips, we're going to have all these friends, but <laughs> no real value from it.
0: Yeah, uh, you can't. I'm not talking about, yeah, friends that I want to hang out with. Yeah, only I'm talking about um, being sufficiently willing to seek discovery, about understanding the complexities and the realities of the world that they live in. Because without that, you can, you really can't create systemic solutions to anything.
1: That's a good one. Because if you think
0: about it, if you think about it, without money, there's not much you can do. Without a good idea, there's not much you can do. Without the ability to execute, there's not much you can do. And without people being inspired by it, there's not much you can do. So having one of those four is kind of pointless. It's about as good as a wet shoe.
1: All right, all right, people. You know your call to action. <laughs> Go make some friends with accountants and lawyers and marketers and technologists. <laughs> okay, so what about the superstar performer?
0: Uh, the superstar performer. Um, I, I think. I think this is where probably. I think you want to learn as much as you possibly can. You probably do have a lot more ideas, but it feels like you're being stopped from above. This is like. Um, I think this is, you see this a lot, particularly junior levels, as part of that superstar performer journey, the first two, three, four, five years of your career, where, you know, you seem to have all the ideas in the world, but the the environment around you is telling you in some way, shape or form that that's not going to work. You're not ready yet. That's, you're, you're being too immature about your thoughts or whatever, okay? And and I think um, that, that to me, that's when it shows up most. And so what i always tell folks um in the sort of that sort of superstar performer stage is that what that looks like is always going 1 degree beyond what was needed or asked for so so it goes back to how you started vicky which was going for the why okay don't just do something cuz your boss tells you to do at least ask the first level of Why are we doing this so that I can do a better product or a better deliverable or a better project or a better, you know, being inquisitive enough to understand the why is probably the most important thing to do there.
1: And tone is so important. So you know the way Vip said that. It was very curious and light rather than sounding like you're interrogating. That's very important. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. why are we doing that? Yeah, that's not going to work.
1: As opposed to why. Why why is this of importance? Curiosity. Gentle tone.
0: Yeah, or even even uh, it would really help me to understand a bit more about why we're going down this road because I feel I could do this many ways and I'm not sure what the best way would do unless I, unless I kind of understand why we're trying to do this and, and what the urgency is. That's very different than why do we have to do this and get it done by next Friday,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah? Mm-hmm. And I think what you find is folks who, particularly at the early stage of one's career, they, they tend to associate doing a good job as getting their tasks done. And so they kind of forget, like getting your task done in a way that pisses people off is worse than not getting the task done at all, and it's easy. It's easy for people to do that because they 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 disproportionately associate value with their task.
1: Okay, so it feels like. Unless you have any final thoughts, we should share the seek discovery challenge.
0: No, I, but I'm totally up for the seek discovery challenge. I hope, <laughs> I hope you've thought of it. I have. That was good.
1: So so if we are going to seek discovery this week, what you need to do is ask yourself, as Vips just said, when you be given a task, ask yourself, why am I doing this task? And if you get brave enough, ask the person around you, why am I doing this task? And use the language that Vips recommended, which is all about, it would really help me to understand the outcome if you could explain a little bit more about the context behind what we're doing and why we need to do it. So that's the first thing. If you're given a task, ask why. Secondly, when you're thinking about the environment you're in right now, rather than just accepting it for the way it is, start to ask yourself five levels of why, go deeper. Why why is this happening? You'll have your first answer. But what's behind that? You'll have your next answer. Go deeper, ask yourself five whys. To see if you can get to the root cause, systemically, of what's really going on. And then the third challenge, for those of you that are up for this one, in your personal relationships, when something triggers you, that's your work. And rather than being triggered by it, ask yourself, seek discovery. Who would I be if this thought didn't trigger me? How would I live my life if I wasn't triggered by this thought? What work do I need to do to not be triggered by this thought? And there's our challenge. So we've got three levels. You get to play at one or three levels. Level one is when you've been asked to do something, get curious and see if you can do it in a way that is light and lands well to find out why it needs to get done. Second level is in the environments around us right now. Ask the five whys to systemically figure out what the hell's going on, much deeper than you superficially see. And thirdly, in your relationships, when you get triggered and triggers are where our work is, who would you be without those thoughts? How would your life be if they didn't affect you?
0: So Vicky, I have, um, I have a little test that uh, I remembered as you were doing the challenge. And uh, I do this sometimes when I'm facilitating groups. And you know, you talked about the five whys challenge. Well, a really good test to, to see your own personal score of how well you do from a seek discovery point of view in the way we talk about it in in terms of h- how hardwired are you to seek discovery as you're asking yourself the five why's and things are getting basically broader and because what's going to happen the more the more you add the whys the harder the problem is going to be right it's going be it's going to be more complex it's going there's going to be more entropy in the, in the conversation as you're doing that, if you find yourself saying, "This is just too hard. I can't think of that. It's getting way out of my depth. I can't think of that. I uh, forget that. I just bury my head in the sand and hope it goes away." Right? If you find yourself saying stuff like that after the first "why," then you have very, very low levels of of uh, of seeking discovery. If you find yourself doing that after the second level, you're getting better. Right? By the third level, that's normally where most people top out. Yeah. And most people don't really want to go beyond level three because it starts getting uncomfortable. Because when you get to level four and level five, you're gonna probably find that you're part of the problem in some way, shape, or form. Yeah? <laughs> and and that's what we don't like, right? We we don't like being part of the problem, whatever problem we're looking at. And so we tend to avoid stages four and five because because the only way to really solve some of that is by doing something different ourselves. And we don't really like doing something different. We like we, we love we love change so long as it happens to someone else. And um, and that's you know. And that's why it's a 4D for a fabulous person.
1: Well, Phips, that sets us up beautifully for next week's topic on the five thinking levels. We're going to dive right into that. Sounds wonderful. Okay, guys. So this was Seek Discovery, the last of the four Ds. And hopefully you've got a lot out of our discussion and, and why they are important. And we look forward to seeing you next week on thinking levels. Any final comments, Vibs?
0: All good. Let's see you next year everyone next week. Everyone be fabulous.
1: Have a great week and be fabulous.